0: Hi Patrice.
1: Hey Michael, how are you?
0: Good, how are you?
1: I'm doing just fine.
0: You just came back from a trip.
1: Oh, I was just, I was upstate for Thanksgiving with some friends and, oh, nice. mm-hmm.
0: and yeah. your your um short film, Mockingbird.
1: Yeah, Mockingbird Wish Me Luck. Mockingbird mm-hmm.
0: Wish Me Luck. Uh, that premiered.
1: Yeah, it just had a little New York City uh, showing at Blue Stockings Books, which is um, a great cooperatively owned bookstore on the Lower East Side.
0: How did the How did the premiere go?
1: It went well. Uh, you know, it was fun. Lots of folks showed up, and it's nice to when you make something like that to kind of kick it out of the nest and get it out into the world, you know, and let it be its own thing. So.
0: Oh, absolutely. There was q and A Q&A afterwards. How was that?
1: It was, it was great. You know, it was nice to hear the crew talk about stuff and hear the cast talk about the experience. And, you know, um, by the time you finish working on a movie, generally, you're so tired of it, you don't have much more to say about it. But I think for the people that help make a film, um, I think they're really excited to see it and talk about it. And it was great for that reason, just to hear what people thought about the, the experience of working Collaboratively.
0: So, what is the? I mean, what's the basic storyline? Is it? Is it? Is it more? Is it documentary in a way that's just kind of a a day in her life? Is it? Is it based around an idea, a story, an idea that you had, or an idea that came from uh, the main character?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, it's not a documentary, um, but it works with you know a non-actor. Mo isn't a you know a film or movie actor, Um, and although it. It does tell a story that comes from a a real, you know, a a quote unquote true story that she told me. Um, You know, we use real actors that are professional actors that work commercially in the city. And um, we used locations that are real in her life. There's a lot of improvisation in the movie. And even though there's a script, um, it's kind of a loose in-between thing, not quite narrative documentary it's somewhere in the middle
0: yeah know? no it's a it's an idea based upon something that really mm-hmm. happened but it's not it's not trying to be a documentary about that event or anything like that is that a good yeah exactly
1: and yeah. that's yeah and that's kind of fun letting it be that you know it's fun to have that freedom and it's easier not to have a real strict idea of something and let something else happen
0: that's great know? so is the is now the, the full short film online? Uh, can people see it? Or are you waiting to perhaps other, have other venues to show it at?
1: So we're submitting it to a bunch of film festivals. And so we can't really have the film online because of that. Right. But um, right now it's just in the submission process of as many, you know, film festivals that we're interested in and in showing it. And it's kind of it's a unique thing. You know, it's not video art. It's not four hours of watching, it's, you know, something kind of weird.
0: It has its own category. But
1: it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's different. So, yeah, it's fun. It's fun doing these, you know, different little projects with something that's photo related, but not really a photo.
0: Yeah, that's great. So we're here to introduce the next episode, which is with Kathy Shore, you know, a photographer who um, is working very documentary style. Um, her her latest project is called Shot, and it's photographs of of people who are survivors of of uh, gunshot wounds. And you know she she photographs them, and sometimes she photographs their scars. And she takes them to the places where the shooting happened. And it mm-hmm. was a it was a pretty. A pretty, very interesting conversation, and also a pretty intense conversation.
1: Unfortunately, I'm sure there's plenty of people for Kathy to photograph in the United States that are victims of gun violence.
0: That is know? the sad thing, you know. Uh, I think once she figured out, gosh, how to sort of investigate a story or look at a story and then and call and contact people, you know, they, I yeah, I think it just opened up for her, and she's she's photographed all over the country.
1: It's such really exciting work, and it's great to have. You know, somebody that's doing that kind of documentary work on the show and to hear about that process because it's, it's really beautiful. They're beautiful photographs. So,
0: right, it's awesome. beautifully horrific photographs, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Unfortunately, part of being American, I think, is uh, gun violence, right? Well, I mean, and
0: actually, the part of the real beauty of the project was there. there's a lot of um, somewhat uh, catharsis and healing that goes on when she brings them back to these places or you know if it happened in their house she she's letting people tell their story in a way and that's a big part of the project is is people sort of getting it out you know getting the story out there and and they feel like being part of this project maybe they're also helping in a way to prevent future gun violence
1: yeah i like that idea i mean i don't know it's boy it's such a huge thing and there's so many guns and there's
0: Gosh,
1: it's, I don't even know. It's so hard what to just wrap your is, head. Right?
0: right, it's it's so hard to wrap your head around what what the solution could possibly be at this point because you, as soon as something yeah. happens, it's it's kind of like both sides get up and and start shouting the other side down, or you know, and and that's the th- one of the things we talk about is you know losing the ability to compromise in order to solve something.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I imagine. I mean, Alaska, I come from a state, of course, where. Yep. Everybody has a gun, but, yeah. uh, you know, it's a part of their curriculum in schools is that all children in the sixth grade go through a gun violence uh, or a gun, excuse me, safety training course. And that's a requirement. So, yeah. yeah. I, that's know, what I was going to say. I, I, I don't know.
0: in Where you're from in Alaska, it's, it would probably seem strange to have a household without a gun.
1: Yeah. of some A uh, hunting rifle is generally the most common. But... We're not you know, my my family we're not gun nuts. And I <laughs> No,
0: no, I'm not I wasn't trying to paint would that. I'd rather picture. not you know I I I'm what I what we were talking about is this kind of oh, yeah, middle yeah, ground yeah, yeah. of the practicality or the you know, the utilitarian idea of what if you're a hunter or things like that. Yeah.
1: yeah. I would rather not I would rather not have a gun. Let's put it that way. Right. I, it doesn't make me feel safer, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But that's just me.
0: Yeah, no, no. Uh so you're back now, and uh, you'll be back teaching at Pratt for the rest of the semester?
1: Yeah, I'm going to be back at Pratt. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking forward to checking out more photo stuff. I was just at the panel discussion for um, the Vela Kashmir. Uh, was it the Stephen Kasher Gallery? I was That's there. I week. saw you. But but <laughs> yeah. I had to
0: I had to run out right after it was over, so we didn't get to talk. Yeah, Yep, yeah, that was great. <laughs> All right, well, we're gonna start the show now. So thanks for calling in, and congratulations on on the thanks, premiere. Thanks,
1: Michael. I'm so excited to hear this episode with Kathy. It should be great.
0: Yeah, it was it was a great conversation. All right, we'll talk soon.
1: Okay, bye-bye. bye bye.
2: Can
0: you get a little closer? Yeah, I can also move the mic in.
2: Is that yeah? Just pull it
0: towards you. All right, so we're here at the School of Visual Arts in this lovely conference room, which makes a great recording room. Uh, speaking with Kathy Shore. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Kathy. You um, you have been working on this very interesting project called Shot. It, I, I've been checking out its website, and it it goes. It seems to go along with a lot of what you do because I, I was looking at some of your other work as well, and. And you have an interest in the underserved, the underprivileged, I noticed, a kind of theme running through your your projects.
2: That is definitely an interest of mine. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, So how did the, the project SHOT come about?
2: Well, there wasn't really one definitive moment for SHOT. It was kind of a number of different things that just... Um, took me to that place. I've always been interested in survivors and the power of the survivor and also with gun violence and things that have been happening in this country, just how it's been escalating and a number of smaller things as well. So I started thinking it would be really interesting to see people who have been shot and survived because we always hear about people who have died and passed on who have been shot but we never hear about what's happened to the survivor who has to you know pick up the emotional and physical pieces the traumas and move on with their lives it's nobody ever hears about that it's almost it's almost like oh yeah she was shot but she's she survived she's okay or he's okay and i just knew that that couldn't always be the case that that this kind of happened, and then you just move on, that there had to maybe be some effects of that. So one day I was in my kitchen doing uh, doing some things, and I had uh, the New York One TV station on in the background, listening to it. And uh, they did an interview with a gentleman named Antonius. And I cannot say his last name because it has about 20 letters to it. It's a long Indonesian name, and it's-
0: I thought you were gonna say he was wanted or something. (laughs) No, 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 it's not,
2: it's it's just a, it begins with a W, but I can't pronounce it. So um, they were speaking with him, and the the, uh, person on New York One, and he, he had been shot about seven weeks prior to his interview in Brooklyn. So I thought, well, he's got this really unusual name. Let me Google him and see if like anything comes up because it, you know, wasn't like looking for John Smith. So immediately I started seeing his name and that he was actually a blogger. So I sent him an email and I asked him if um he thought that this would be something that he might be interested in trying and being the first person to be part of this project. And we communicated back and forth, and he said yes, he would like to do it. And the other thing I said to him was I, I had been thinking about how this would be interesting to ha- to photograph people where they were shot, because that's another element to it. Most uh, of the places where people are shot are not these evil you know, haunted house kind of places. They're places that we all go to every day. They're normal places. They're very banal places. And I thought that if I could have that as part of the project too, people would be able to identify with, hey, you know, this happened on a street corner in my neighborhood. That Maybe that could have been me. So, you know, being that it was seven weeks, I asked him if he would be comfortable with that. And the brave soul that Antonius is, he said... Uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And when I met him that day, he had taken a Xanax, which we were laughing about. And I uh, I I said, well, I totally understand, you know, but thank you. Was he nervous about it? He was not nervous about being photographed. Of course, that was the first time he was going back to the place where he was shot. And he was very seriously injured. He was shot in the torso, and his parents who lived in Boston actually were told that he had died. So you can imagine that, uh, how horrible. But he he was very seriously injured, and he was walking. He actually works at NYU. So he um, was walking to catch the subway. This was his neighborhood where he lived at 2 in the afternoon. And some guy saw his ex-girlfriend, and decided that he needed to shoot her. And even though there were people walking on the street, it was a very crowded corner in Brooklyn. It wasn't a, a, like a little isolated spot. It was a main thoroughfare. So this person took his gun out and started firing on this corner to hit his ex-girlfriend. And there were kids outside as well, and, and Antonius was shot. So it was 2.30 on a busy Brooklyn street in the afternoon. Wow, and when we went back to the place, actually people started coming over to him and saying, "I was there that day. It's so good to see you. You're okay. You're walking. You're, you know, you're alive." How much
0: time was in between? Seven weeks. Oh, wow.
2: Seven weeks. It was, and that's why I, I use his scar as one of the logos for Shot because it, it's really a seven week scar and it's very raw and um he when i asked him to show it i hadn't thought i thought a little bit about it but i hadn't really th- wasn't sure if that would be part of the project but then i said can i photograph your scar and he just whipped his shirt up and mm. showed it to me so i thought yeah this is even better to show the scars too because this is this becomes reality then right so once I photographed Antonius and it was successful and he felt really good about it. He said, I'm so glad that I've done this and um, I feel like I've come full circle and that I can move on. So t- taking him back to that spot, it was it was somewhat cathartic for him. Exactly. Wow. So then I, I thought, well, if he can do it, uh, there will be other people that can do it. So um, after that, I started looking for some people in the New York area, and I photographed a girl from Harlem who was uh, went out to the corner deli at like midnight and again was shot randomly, another street fight. And then um, I photographed a psychologist in Brooklyn who was actually shot by the police, and she was walking in Times Square at seven at night, and the police were having an issue chasing a, a, a kind of a A deranged person through the streets on Times Square, and they started shooting at this person, and she got shot. Then I was going to Tucson, and this was number four. And um, of course, Gabby Giffords happened in uh, Tucson, and I went online and Googled a list of the people who had survived uh, the Gabby Giffords shootings, and. I wrote a letter to seven survivors. I think I had all of them. And about a week later, Bill Badger, who was the hero of the Gabby Giffords shootings, called me on the phone. It was a Saturday morning, and he said, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. Now, background on Bill, he's a 30-year ex-army colonel, 74 years old, about six foot three, big, powerful, strong man, he lived in a beautiful house in Tucson. I mean, he was not the kind of person that one imagines when you they think of uh, somebody being shot.
0: Oh, because he seemed so capable, well, of, uh, uh, military, in the military person, right, and, and so trained and, and all, right.
2: And also just uh, a wealthy, um, maybe conservative Republican. I don't know what his. Political affiliation mm-hmm. was, but he didn't seem like somebody that in if you stereotype people that you think who are going to be shot, Bill would not he didn't have fit like what, what you the might profile. think of. Uh,
0: yeah, the the people that you had met before, the people that you had seen, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. he was just uh, um, a remarkable person, and he um, he told me this story when I photographed him, and um, I think that this is uh, took my project kind of in that direction. I owe Uh, I met Bill for uh, one afternoon, and I owe a lot to that meeting. I think that he was a very influential person on this project for me. So he was from South Dakota and a hunter, and he went pheasant hunting with his sons all the time. And he told me about how he had gone back to South Dakota to speak about some kind of... um, Gun violence uh, protection laws at a at, at a meeting, and when he arrived at the meeting, there were all kinds of protesters holding signs up about this. And Bill stood in front of them and said, "I don't understand why you're doing this. I am just like you. I'm a hunter. I'm from South Dakota. I own guns. I go hunting." Why? Oh, these
0: these were gun rights
2: protesters. These were people who were angry that right. Bill was um, Second yes, Amendment. Yes, exactly. Right, right. Sorry, I didn't make that clear. Yeah. And all little, you know, all of a sudden the signs came down. He said, and people put them down, and then they listened to him. And I thought that this was really profound because the the way that things will change. Are with people like bill people who own guns responsible gun owners they cannot be eliminated from the dialogue
0: it's it's the people in the middle who can compromise with each other
2: exactly there's no dialogue without um, responsible gun owners and bill you know made me see that and I he passed away earlier this year so he's no longer with us but he
0: was it related to getting shot? or I'm something not
2: else? sure. I mean, mm-hmm. he was probably about seventy eight years old. Wow. He did have a stroke after he was shot because mm. of his uh, the trauma. and it definitely affected him, where he told me that if he heard loud noises, he he kind of got wow. startled from them and things. But he was an extremely healthy looking man when i met him a towering figure so um he was not a sickly person but he decided that he was going to make the rest of his life mission to talk and speak out about responsible gun laws so i f- after photographing him i realized that my project had to be very inclusive and have all kinds of situations all kinds of people who have been affected by this. I mean, I had thought about that in the beginning, but I was more convinced that in order to make this a project that everyone, everybody can relate to, that I had to include everybody in the dialogue.
0: So have you had uh, experiences with, with other victims, other uh, pe- people who were shot, returning to that spot, um, feeling a, a sense of uh, relief or even just fear or, or trauma?
2: Well, it's it's a very individual question. There are people who have to go back to the spot frequently. There are people, and and some
0: of them, it was in their home, so they're already there, right? I was just going to say that. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. And I'll tell you a story about that, which is really uh, interesting. I photographed a woman in uh, named Elizabeth in violet louisiana just a great name of a place i thought and she was married to an abusive person and she had an adopted daughter and this man was the stepfather to her and one night he came and this was a wonderful girl senior in high school she had gotten into college in baton rouge And just, I think she was a cheerleader, just a kind of daughter that would make anybody so proud. And this man came at both Elizabeth and her daughter and shot both of them and killed her daughter. Hmm. And Elizabeth was shot, I think, in the throat or maybe the lower part of her face. And I went to the house in Violet and... It's kind of like a um, she was they was she was shot in the hallway they were killed and the daughter was killed there and the house she talked about how the carpet was soaked in blood and what a oh, mess it was and geez. how neighbors and people had cleaned up the house and I asked her did she have trouble going back to this place where this happened and she said that she thought about it. She wasn't sure, but she felt that she was had this uh, energy from her daughter or or feelings from her daughter or, or kind of thoughts from her daughter being sent to her, telling her that, I want you to be there. This is the place that I am and you and we lived here. And this is what connects us together. This is our place. So I she felt that in order to be close to this daughter who she loves so much that she should be back in the house. And the house has, she has like her cheerleading jacket inside glass and Mm. kind of on an easel and all kinds of pictures of her daughter and a swing outside on the lawn that has a plaque on it. So it's kind of a shrine to her daughter, but she actually feels peaceful living in the house.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine I you know, of course you don't you you can't know until unless you've experienced it but I that it just seems so so much a, a reminder of the tragedy and, and all it, it, I, as a parent I'm just thinking I don't know what I would do
2: well that's that's why I so that's one that's an example of how a person actually um, makes peace with a place and actually feels good in a place because of memories and things. And if you are in domestic violence, a lot of times you, you have to stay in your house. You can't leave. So you, have, you do have to make peace with that. But then um, last year I was in Miami and I was supposed to photograph a, a woman who also was shot by a, a domestic violence situation and her boyfriend had shot her in a parking lot about 10 years before that. And she emailed me the night before I was supposed to photograph her and said, I can't do it. I went back to the place yesterday. I just can't do it. So interestingly, I'm going to Miami tomorrow. And I emailed her about two weeks ago and said, I'm coming back. Do you think that you could do it? I would really like to have you in the project. And she said, yes. So she had to go through that. And she went through it. And I think she's okay now. Mm. It can. Those were kind of two extremes of that. Right. That.
0: Yeah, but and so it seems like the, you're finding people who, who want to share this story, who also want to, you know, sort of sort of face it head on.
2: Yeah, all the people that I have photographed want to do this if it's going to help somebody else. So I've heard that many times. Mm.
0: Did um, do you feel like? Um, you know, be, between people who are sort of uh, on the left and maybe uh, you know somewhat anti-gun, and then people who want to, want to own guns, are you seeing some more common ground as you do this?
2: Well, I think both camps have extremist views. Mm-hmm. There are people who, of course, we have you know people who have guns who think that everybody should have machine guns and all kinds of firepower because of you know whatever reason. And, but there are also people on the other side of the coin who think that nobody should have a gun. And um, that's very unrealistic. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn. I live in New York my whole life. I, I can't imagine going hunting, but why should something that I culturally didn't grow up with, why should I say that somebody in Montana or Wyoming shouldn't uh, be able to hunt? That's not my you know, I have no say in that.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I, I've had similar conversations. I'm a vegetarian. I I lived in New York, right? I've never owned a gun. I've, I've, I've shot a few guns, but I've never owned a gun. And I actually have, for, for people who do eat meat, I have more respect for hunters in some way, that there are people out there who hunt and and who hunt for food. And I have respect for that.
2: Yes. I mean, this is part of the problem that I see in this country, that People don't have respect for other people's views, and we've become this polarized society that either it's this way or that way, and there's no middle. And this is getting worse and worse, and we have to start bringing it back to dialoguing with each other and to coming up with solutions that neither side is going to be 100% happy with, but both sides can live with, and it makes overall a better situation for most people.
0: So let's, let's back up a little bit. How did you get started in all of this? And we had a, a little conversation earlier. We were both at SVA at the same time at the School of Visual Arts.
2: Yes, the wonderful School of Visual <laughs> Arts. Uh, I can't say enough uh, things about this fantastic school and uh, just how it uh, changed my life coming here. So I'm eternally grateful to SVA. So,
0: so before SVA, were, were you interested in art before School of Visual Arts?
2: I kind of came at, at photography in a different kind of way than, uh, your, than you would think. I had uh, two children very young, and I used to always photograph my children. And people would tell me what beautiful pictures I took of them. And, uh, I, I enjoyed doing it and I photographed as a teen too, a little bit and liked it. So, uh, I came to SVA when my son was about two years old and I decided to take a night class to see, um, what a college class would be like. And if I could, um, you know, what would happen if I could do it? So I took a night class and the, teacher that I had was always tell me that he loved my pictures and he would always, uh, be very complimentary to me. And by the end of the session, I said to him, listen, I, I'm not going to be upset, uh, if you have been bullshitting me and saying that, that <laughs> I'm, I'm a good photographer, but I'm, st- I'm thinking about seriously doing this and coming to school full time. And I don't want to waste my time if you don't think that I really, you know, have talent or could do it. And he said to me, no, I, I, I think you're really talented that you should, uh, you should do it. And I said, okay. So I came to SBA as a young mom With two kids, and pushed through and did it, and uh, graduated with honors, and just had a remarkable experience here.
0: Were you with a lot of other adult learners then? Because I I mean, that's it's a lot of my students are adult learners. You know, we call them uh, adult or alternative or whatever, but um, they're actually now uh, half the class, so they're not really alternative anything, right? Were were you in a class with with other parents, with uh, people coming back for other? You know, retraining?
2: Well, I, I th- there, think there were about five or six of us who were not fresh out of high school. <laughs> but they were a great group. Um, they, I think they were all women. And um, you, there was a camaraderie, you know, that we... And they were really good photographers, too. So, uh, it, And I never felt actually out of place or weird. Uh, I felt like I was kind of... Sometimes I was uh, closer to the teacher. Sometimes I was closer to the student. I never felt out of place. But I think that probably now, as you say, that there are uh, the the second career kind of thing. And there are many more uh, older um, or adult learners. Right. I was saying
0: alternative. I actually met, I think we used to refer to, the, to it as non-traditional learners. That's what it was, non-traditional, non-traditional, right? But we don't even use the terminology anymore because like I said, half my class coming from, not coming from high school, coming from all different places.
2: Yeah, and, and I mean, it, it's, it has to do with when the time is right for you. If I would have come to, to SBA right out of high school, I probably wouldn't have done as well as I did. I probably would have, I don't know, I just, I think that I wanted to learn, I really wanted to learn and absorb everything that I could. So I was a perfect student in that sense, that I was interested in everything and trying everything.
0: And then, um, after you, um... You know, you, you you got some confirmation from your professor. And by the way, that that's a really brave question to ask, right? I think most people would take the compliment and go okay, oh, and then go away, <laughs> you know. But but you wanted you wanted some real criticism. You wanted you wanted to make sure you were doing the right thing. Uh, did you went then enroll full
2: time after that? Yes, I did. I enrolled full time, and you know, did it in in four years. And uh, I used to do uh, weddings to the SBA had a great placement office and I had a friend from Israel and she and I would uh, do weddings on the weekend. Uh, I was divorced at the, I was divorced then and I my children would go see their father on the weekend. So I learned how to do weddings. I I worked for a terrible factory in Brooklyn where I uh, I think my second year of SBA where I worked Till like from seven till three in the morning on Saturdays for about six months, learning how to photograph weddings, and I think I was paid forty (laughs) dollars. And it was (laughs) it was just a a really difficult, torturous job. But (laughs) I I, my goal again was to learn how to do this myself, and so my friend Ricky and I would uh, do weddings ourselves we would uh, and we became friendly with the SBA jobs man and he would actually call us when the weddings came in so we um photographed on the weekends and did weddings and th- parties and things like that
0: and, and um who did you um so who did you have then for for your third year and your fourth year here i ask all the uh, SBA uh, grads about that
2: Well, I think the first year and the fourth year were my best years. I Mm. think the second and third were kind of, uh, I I really had to figure things out. Mm. And I kind of felt that there were some classes that I was, you know, doing well. And then others that I uh, kind of, I actually, my third year, I had a... uh, a humanities class with Frederick Tutton called Civilization, and I think in its discontents, I think it was from the Freud book, and that, I think, was my favorite class (laughs) in the third year, so I was in a totally different, uh, you know, uh, like absorbing everything. But... um, First year, I had a uh, teacher named Helen Butfield. Oh, that was my first. Oh, that year. was your first. Okay. Photo one teacher. Yes. yes Helen she, was fantastic. Oh, she was great, and yeah. I loved her. And she really pushed, and <laughs> she was uh, incredible. And then last, the last year, I had Charles Traub as my thesis <laughs> teacher, and he's amazing, and he um, really pushed me as well. So, um, I think that I kind of had bookends of very strong photo people, and. It was good because if I had started out on a you know and not been had a strong start out, maybe I wouldn't have finished. And the last year pulled everything together. I really extended myself and and pushed myself. My project, my thesis project, was uh, on ballroom dancing before Dancing with the Stars, and there was kind of a cult world in New York. There probably still is a bit of it of people who would uh, go to ballroom places. And, and it was a very social thing. And I was photographing in those clubs. And th- it was a lot of fun. And, and I think that that was the start of me wanting to really be out with people and kind of uh, having the interaction with people when I photographed.
0: Hmm. And I, I noticed on your website, it's it's kathyshore.com website? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That um, you do work for the Gay Men's Health Crisis?
2: Yes, I did um, a class for them. Uh, I teach documentary and kind of street photography. And, uh, you oh, right. That's what made me...
0: I made that comment earlier that you um, you have this sort of interest in, in serving the underprivileged or serving a, a, a diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think it was something about um, the Fortune Society and the gay men's health crisis that, that led me to that, that idea.
2: Well, I joined a program in uh, 2001 called the New York Teaching Fellows because I thought that photography would be a good way to uh, work with uh, kids in public schools. And I wanted to give something back to the city that I've lived in my whole life. I felt like this would be like a nice combination of things to do. And uh, that led me on this uh, path of teaching Different kinds of people, different people that you normally wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't think would be photo students, would be in the, you know, would be photographing. And I think documentary kind of transcends that and gives people the opportunity to have a voice. So um, I taught in the public schools for 13 years, and the last five I was in the suspension sites of of New York City, which... What is that? The students who have misbehaved and have to be removed from their schools and put into suspension sites for whatever—it's kind of like a a prison a prison system in a way for whatever their sentence is, for lack of a better word. They're
0: yeah, taken out of sort of the mainstream school yes. and, and put in separate schools. Mm-hmm.
2: So I taught. I had a very successful photo program for at that time, which was kind of, uh, sabotaged in a way by the success of it. And I realized that there wasn't any kind of place to go with this in, in the public schools. I mean, I had, I had put in 13 years of teaching art and photography and kind of just, you know, you can do only, you can influence the people that are in your, you can influence students, but the, uh, bureaucracy of the New York City Department of Education is something that I don't wish on anybody <laughs> having, to <laughs> having to deal with. So it's probably, it's harder to uh, working with the adults than it is working with the students. And there, you know, it's, it's just kind of, if you don't, if you haven't um, been in that world from the time you are fresh out of college, and you go into it as a thinking adult, uh, it's just kind of nightmarish.
0: That working within the system, you mean? Yes. Oh, okay. And yeah. And you, you, so you felt like you couldn't continue with the system. It was too complicated. There were, you said, sabotage. Uh, people who actually didn't want you to continue to do it, or thought it was. They
2: get jealous. Oh, okay. And they kind of do things to make it your program no longer successful. Oh, okay, okay. And um, it just was time for me to leave. It, it was. Uh, I did. Thirteen years, and I am happy to not be working there anymore. So to but, leave it. But you, it you at are that. still teaching now. Well, or? I teach. Uh, so I that that was how I started with um, different marginalized groups, and I've taught at the GMHC for um, uh, at-risk men. I've taught at the Fortune Society now for about. Uh, Two and a half years. What is the Fortune Society? The Fortune Society is a great organization that um, works with young men and women who um, have committed felonies, and they have a choice of going into the Fortune Society program or, you know, being put into the system. And for the most part, I don't, I don't think it's so much of a choice, <laughs> but they are. Um, really uh, a remarkable organization in the sense that if we want things to change, organizations like the Fortune Society should be backed by uh, the citizenship. Uh, when somebody, and I know this from working at the Fortune Society, when someone gets out of prison, they're given $40. Now, just think about that. That. You know, you're out of prison, and here's $40. I mean, maybe that will buy you dinner and a, a few, uh, metro, a Metro car. Oh, you're
0: done with that in a day. Yes. Right.
2: Yeah. Now, if you have a family, hopefully they welcome you back, and they can kind of work with you and get you uh, up and running. But if you have no one and that happens to you, uh, what's going to happen to somebody that has $40 and goodbye? So it's like a no-brainer. I mean, organizations like the Fortune Society step in and try to remediate things, situations where people uh, don't come out of the system or don't go into the system and are left floundering for a place to sleep, job opportunities, and things like that. So I, the Fortune Society is a, a great uh, New York City institution.
0: Yeah, you know, I just, I just, I think I read or I I saw it on a a program. Uh, You know, you get that $40. And and in some states, you, you have to pay to go see your parole officer, and then you don't have the money to pay your parole officer. And you have a choice of going back to jail uh, if you can't pay. Uh, And then some people just go back to crime to make money to pay their parole officer. I mean, it's an insane system.
2: It's, it's when, you, when you think of it and when you talk about it, and this is why dialogue is so important, because if we just said, well, I, 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 if I said I, I hate people that have committed crimes, they should be in jail, and you, you say, well, no, people should, you know, if we go on those, those polar opposites mm-hmm. and we don't talk about that whole middle gray area, just as we're talking now, then nothing gets accomplished. So maybe somebody hears that, uh, when, you know, to have, uh, have a little understanding and compassion for somebody that does get out of prison, that is given $40, what are they really going to do? You know, maybe, maybe if you have a store, maybe you should consider that um, somebody out of jail might be somebody that you could trust and give a chance to.
0: Yeah, and and this is one of you know, we were speaking about common ground. This is one of those areas that seems to be finding a bit of common ground right now in terms of uh, um, mandatory sentencing and, and things like that. That's at least we're seeing some movement there.
2: Yeah. So I'm glad that I'm I been been shown the fortune society i'm glad that i i went to a a book signing of somebody that did a book on um fathers in america and the fortune society uh came to that uh, about the importance of fathers and i spoke with them afterwards and got to know uh their positions and and then asked them if they were interested in in somebody teaching photography so I've, I've also worked with, uh, I won a grant last year to work with seniors in Chinatown to teach documentary photography, and that was a great experience. And um, I teach at SVA over the summer. I, there's a program in, the, in uh, art education where students from South America come to New York for two weeks and learn different disciplines at SVA. It's a great program run by Rose Vigiano and I teach the street photography, New York street photography. And we had, I think, 15 students this year and we run all over New York City, uh, different neighborhoods and photographs. So uh, I I teach photography to a lot of different groups, but I, I actually, all of them have really done very well with getting a camera or a cell phone now I teach with cell phones because that's everybody has access to that and um, most people uh, discover things that they have kind of walked by with blinders every day and it's it's an enriching experience for most people.
0: Do you do video as well with them?
2: Well I'm not the best at video. I mean <laughs> I can do it a little bit and I encourage it but uh, I'm certainly not somebody that's going to be editing video. Mm-hmm. As, and part of the shot project, I do have uh, a video component to it, but I will be working with uh, a video editor to do that. Oh, we have a, a surprise guest! <laughs>
0: <laughs> hello, Mr. Droum. Hello. <laughs> come on in. It's a small world, huh? Yeah. Here, grab a seat. That mic's right on. <laughs> on. <laughs> 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 yes. No, no, keep the seat. No, send send Mic. <laughs> Continue no, no. telling your story. I know yeah. the story. <laughs> right. all right you know you're right. you're you're lined up you're, you're gonna be on this show oh, Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> you're next <laughs> he'll do it
0: so yeah charles Troub just uh walked in and that's why i you heard me say hello mr traub uh and of course uh charles hopefully will be on the podcast down the road but you and charles are together
2: Yes, we've been together for many years, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and of course, that started after SVA. <laughs> yes,
2: after SVA. Right. <laughs> but another nice thing about SVA that we met here. So. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and Charles has been been photographing for for many many years. He's had uh, a few books and a bunch of shows, and so we can we'll we'll talk about that when he's on the show.
2: Yeah, you'll you will have a lot to talk to him
0: about. <laughs> uh, so you did a. Um, also did a series of photos called Limousine, uh, mm-hmm. which is up on your site, and it was um, it was shown at and I I'm I don't speak French, <laughs> so Visa pour limage L'Image le image internationale.
2: <laughs> yeah, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure I butchered that. Sorry, <laughs> no, you <everybody>. didn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so what was that project about? What was and what was it? Uh, what was that show like?
2: Uh, well, I graduated from SVA, and I decided that I wanted to do um, a project where I talked with people and got, you know, got closer to people. And, you know, I don't even remember. At first, I thought, maybe I'll drive a taxi. And then I thought, no, no, I'll, I'll drive a limousine and uh, see if I can photograph the, everybody that I have in my limousine. So I applied to a Limousine company in Brooklyn, and this was not. This was not a very. I, I mean, when I think about how that company was run, I mean, it. The limousine drivers were treated pretty bad. Badly, we had to pick up our own ice for the cooler in the back of the car, and uh, there at that time, this was the early '90s, so it wasn't like we all had cell phones. The limousines had. Uh, uh, cars and uh phones, phones. in the back yeah, yeah car phones and they never worked <laughs> and i mean it was a very very flim flam operation <laughs> but so i drove a limousine part-time and it was uh fantastic i loved doing it because i like to drive very much and there was something great about driving this huge car and uh it, it became a very psychological project because when, I, when people would first come into the limousine, first of all, I was a woman driving, so that was unusual. And uh, when they'd first see me, they thought, you know, that of course I'm working for them and that they can treat me kind of like the help. <laughs> and these are i have to say these are not most of the people were not fancy people this was not park avenue that i was riding i was most of the clients were from brooklyn and at that time brooklyn wasn't so gentrified
0: it, yeah it look uh, the photos look like m- sort of middle class people in parties or, or graduations or things like that
2: middle class and lower middle class mm-hmm. so when they'd first see me they would be like oh uh oh, hi, uh, driver, what's your name, blah, blah, blah. But then after maybe driving them for 20 minutes or so, I would say, oh, excuse me, by the way, I'm a photographer and I'm doing a project about the people that I drive in the limousine. Would you mind if I photographed you throughout the um, time that I have you in the car? And then the tables would immediately change. Suddenly the driver who was working for them was now the person that they were going to work for. And it was absolutely fascinating to see the change that suddenly I was respected, and they were listening to me if I said, oh, I'll, can I photograph you now? So also what would happen is the the guard of the people who came in all dressed up and very fancy and uh, pretending to be something that they weren't, after an hour or so, or a little longer, sometimes that you're you're oh, driving you they mean six they out. would have like their guard, guard up, up about yeah, well, it well they right, would right. be you know like clo- playing a role exactly yeah I clothes changing the person but after a while the role would um drop off and they would be their normal people so i would have i uh, have one photograph of this woman in a bridesmaid's dress all you know dressed up going into the deli and buying a uh six-pack of Heineken and she's sitting in the uh, back seat with the six-pack and the dress and so all the everything would break down at, during the time of the ride and by the end of the ride it would be just that people would just be who they were but they happened to be dressed up and I it was uh it was great fun to uh and I to I'll go back to working for that wedding studio in Brooklyn before that. One time I was in Canarsie and I drove the limousine out and the old pe- wedding crew that I used <laughs> to work with were photographing the wedding. So I got out of the car with my, uh, I, I was working with a Mamiya two and a quarter at the time, so I had a really big camera. They saw me photographing the wedding, driving the limousine and they just, and I, right before that I had won some kind of uh, contest in the daily news so I know they had seen that uh there was some uh contest they used to have I forget what it even was but I was one of the uh however many winners there were so I knew that they knew that I was photographing and but it was really funny because I just once I got out of the limousine with the car with the camera I was the photographer in the limousine I was still actually the driver so it, that was, uh, I did that for about nine months. And I have to say that I really enjoyed it, because I am a Brooklyn girl at heart. I grew <laughs> up in Brooklyn and Queens. And I knew all these types of people. I was one of them. I, I knew the game. <laughs> and
0: you were probably in a limo at one point,
2: <laughs> uh, going to prom or something. or <laughs> Exactly. I was. When I, that's so true. And what happened was I started to eavesdrop because you can't help it and I started hearing really interesting conversations in the back and I couldn't figure out how to do that with my camera and I decided that I really wanted to do video of the people or have sound and a sound element to the project and then I, I realized that I just it, it, the photo part of it was over because I, I I was now interested in hearing things rather than seeing things in the car. But French Photo uh, had seen... I was going to Paris and I stopped in to see them. And I think that was the second year of Pepignon. And I showed them my portfolio and they loved it. And they this was probably in the beginning of the summer and Pepignon is in, I think... The beginning of September, and they asked me if I could be in, uh, if I would be in the show. And of course, I said yes. But they talked about it as weddings in New York. They didn't do it as a limousine. I was driving the limousine, but I called the project limousine because I had proms and and right. other sweet sixteens and things. But they titled it weddings in New York.
0: <laughs> That's probably how they imagined weddings, and so yeah. So, um, where do you see the uh, the shot project going?
2: Well, my goal is a hundred survivors. I just came back from Pittsburgh uh, last night, and I photographed the ninety sixth survivor. Mm. So, ninety seven will be next week in Miami. The woman I spoke about before, and then I will have three people to photograph in uh, December. And the shot project will be officially done
0: and that that has its own website uh yes. the project it, it it's kathy hyphen shore dot com. no oh sorry, sorry. oh no, wait that,
2: that it's it's shotproject.org
0: shotproject.org that's yes. a lot easier to remember i don't know why it's coming <laughs> it's up this, this oh, way <laughs> i
2: don't i don't know it's shotproject.org and after that um i'm going to The beginning of December, I'm going to start working on putting a book together. Actually, Tom Roma is going to work and help me put something together. I'm very happy about that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Also, there's a a company from a a film company from San Francisco, Telling Pictures, who has um, been given seed money from HBO. And they have wanted to do a documentary about the shot documentary. So when I was in Memphis a few weeks ago, they followed me around there, and uh, the woman in Pittsburgh didn't want the film company to film, so they didn't come there, but they will be following me for the uh, last couple of people to do this reel, and then if HBO is happy about it, which the two of the, um, the two directors are Academy Award winners, so I'm <laughs> Thinking Hopeful. that they're pretty good, <laughs> <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> then uh, they will go to speak with um, people from the project that I've already photographed so and there's a lot of very interesting stories so it's going to be
0: and some of those people that might be more open to having this sort of follow-up i imagine then because they've already been photographed yeah
2: yeah i think um i think that a lot of those people have told me that they're interested so i think they will definitely have enough people to uh speak with and interesting stories yeah yes
0: yeah so um are you thinking about uh the next thing the next thing, the next photographic uh, idea.
2: Well, again, uh, these things usually are a spark, little sparks here and there, as I talked about with shot. Um, I'm, I'm having a few sparks about, uh, <laughs> no, <that's laughs> but great. I, I, I li- don't. Ha- <laughs> I like the way he said that. Some yeah, sparks. Yeah. Yes, I don't have uh, time to even really think about it now because I'm so preoccupied with this project. But during the course of doing shot. I've met so many remarkable people. And um, one of the areas that has uh, struck me as something that I want to get more involved with, and I'm not sure how, is there are about four organizations, maybe three organizations and four people that I've met so far that do what I think are is the work that will save communities and save people, and I wish that they could re- be replicated in every city in America. So there are two priests. There's Father Greg Boyle at Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles, and the model of Homeboy's Industries is just something that uh, it it makes so much sense. It's a um, an organization that works with gang members and teaches them how to have a trade. There's a bakery there. There's a restaurant there. There's a tattoo removal uh, office there as well as social services. And the, the whole community is transformed by Homeboy Industries. So that's Father Greg Boyle.
0: It's a place where it gives uh, gang members, former gang members, uh, something, you know, a job and guidance and all kinds of assistance.
2: Yes, it saves lives. Mm. And it's it's an amazing, amazing organization. I photographed two uh, people for shot who were part of Homeboy. That's how I met, uh, how I got acquainted with them. And then there's Father Flager, Father Michael Flager, who is a priest working in Chicago. He also, I connected with him and and met one of the people that I photographed in Chicago. He is uh, the the hero, the person that really understands what's happening there, and uh, is trying to change things. And in Boston, uh, Inner City Weightlifting, which is run by two brothers, uh, the Feynman brothers, uh, these are organizations that change people's lives and make life better for all of us. And I also met a, um, a pastor in Newark uh, who I photographed who had been shot uh Reverend Ellis, and so those four individuals, they are three organizations, and there's something about, I don't know, I, I want to do something with people like that, people who devote their lives to making change, but I'm not, I, I'm not sure, I mean, that's just the first spark, so I have to think about that and how to make that be something else
0: right uh, and, and into a something photographic right, and, maybe, well. and maybe
2: and yeah. maybe it can't be photographic maybe that's oh. a video thing because maybe we need to hear those people speak mm-hmm. i don't know and maybe it's not some it's just an it's it's something in the back of my mind that uh is possible to, is something possible to explore right
0: and but, it, of course, yeah. You know, it can be photos with text. It can be photos, text, and video. It can be all kinds of things, right? Yeah, yeah. which
2: is kind of what shot is. Right. Shot is I have right. everybody writing about uh, a statement from all of the survivors. And then I ask everybody the same video question, one question that I won't divulge now. Because it's more
0: interesting to read the answer, right?
2: Well, that's gonna no. That's the that's a video question. It's oh, the right, same. So, it, right, so every and that I'm gonna make into a little um, with the video editor, a little kind of uh, short film about that because it's kind of a philosophical question, and I think it's easy, interesting to see or hear the answers from people, mm-hmm. and it's also done in a an eight mm the eight millimeter app, so it's very kind of dreamy and kind old film looking it's not perfect looking it's meant to look like a dream quality
0: and that would be part of the an exhibition or might maybe part of the hbo documentary or
2: yeah i mean i don't i don't know it's for an exhibition i had thought of that running on a column or something in a space but i also think it might be strong enough to be its own little short film Mm. So um, that, that's something, uh, again, that and the book are things I've kind of, I haven't worked on them because my goal has been to finish the project and I hadn't expected the attention to, to come to it in the middle of it, which it did in the spring. Um, Slate magazine, David Rosenberg saw um, some pictures from it and asked me if he could put them in Slate and do a story about the project and from then it just kind of went viral i mean slate has a really big following yes yeah (laughs) (laughs) and social media presence and yes and um it it wound up being in a number of cosmopolitan the daily mail petapixel all these places i actually uh was on msnbc talking about it and they had it on their website so in the middle of this there was kind of almost two months of of all of this attention yes (laughs) and and I was photographing too so it kind of um it it got a life of its own really so uh, it's always been my goal to finish by the end of the year and I have been really pushing to get that done Hmm.
0: where do you think your uh, social activism streak comes from or wanting to help others Oh, yeah, yeah. Were you raised religious? Were you <laughs> raised in a, a progressive family?
2: Well, I went to Catholic school for 12 years. But <laughs> as I tell people, if uh, I had met a Father Flager or a Father Boyle, I probably still would think of myself as a Catholic. <laughs> but I never met any... Uh, to you didn't me, have that inspiration. No. To uh, me, they're more secular. They happen to be priests, but they're. Mm-hmm. I don't get this sense of that they're preaching uh they're preaching humanism to me more than uh catholicism mm-hmm. but um no i i i would not say that that came from going to catholic school <laughs> <laughs> what about family life growing uh,
0: up in Brooklyn and queens right
2: it's it's hard to um i mean i guess i really feel always connected to new york and kind of uh the survivor thing probably comes from growing up. Uh, I kind of think of myself as a survivor in some ways, of of growing up in a neighborhood where a lot of people I knew, you know, died of drug addictions and and things that people in middle and lower middle class neighborhoods kind of stay in the neighborhood. They don't leave the neighborhood, and I guess I think of myself as having survived that and and gone and, on from there,
0: and you were probably a witness to a few things as well. I imagine seeing it on the street, seeing what it did to people
2: yes, there were there there you don't hear many success stories from kind of the blue collar neighborhoods uh mm-hmm. unfortunately
0: so you're you're hoping to finish up the project by the end of the year and then you know it'll it'll have its own life right uh shows and books things like that <laughs> and uh <laughs> And uh, we, we've said those websites. You're also on social media, at least on
2: Twitter, right? I'm trying to hard to be on Twitter. <laughs> Twitter is. Uh, I'm trying to get followers and things. Well, wh- it's a wh- very wh- different way to of uh, communicating. Uh,
0: how would they follow you on Twitter? How would people follow you on Twitter?
2: Oh, I'm cat sure k-a-t-s-h-o-r-r right but uh yeah we'll have
0: we'll we'll post that when we post the show thank you any uh, any other forms of social media you'd like people to follow you on instagram i'm on instagram
2: too (laughs) i'm on instagram yes but uh, um instagram i think of more as fun i i think of that as my photography where i don't have to worry about making a good picture. <laughs> it's kind of like if I see something pretty or I see something, yeah, you know, oh, that's it's casual. nice. It's, it's Exactly, yeah, yeah. so casual. Sure. And I, I really like that. And actually, I don't really carry my camera around as much as I did as long as I have my cell phone. Right, right. which is uh, Which is very liberating because you have it at the ready, but you're not... Um, and it, it happened so quickly. I did a project... At the 10-year anniversary of uh, 9-11, I thought, H- where have we gone in 10 years? So I thought that I would take a picture a day for a year between 9-11-2010 and 9 9-11, 2011 at the 10-year anniversary. This is on your site, I think. Yes. It? yes. It's called yeah. Countdown 9 mm-hmm. So this would be a very easy project for me to do today. I, but at that time, and it's not long ago, I carried my Canon uh, 5D right. with me every day. And that heavy camera was in my pocketbook and drove me crazy. And I had to take a picture a day. So I that was, I felt so, that I had accomplished so much after doing that project because I, one time I, I didn't feel well and I was in the doctor's office and I remember taking a picture in the doctor's office. So it, it, I, it, it disciplined me enormously. I was going to
0: ask about that because it, that's a, it's a different way of working than carrying, just carrying your phone, which you have on you anyway. Do you think that affected how the photos look?
2: Well, I I think you can definitely get better pictures with a uh,
0: a DSLR, right? Yeah, yeah a full yeah. frame DSLR. Yeah, I mean, but uh, I, just in terms of um, uh, the frequency of sort of pulling it out and taking photos, and the, the the time to set something up, I you know when you're when you're photographing with your phone, you tend to be very quick, much mm-hmm. more casual with it.
2: Yeah, I think that's very true. I um, the pictures were really. Well, it was like the street mentality when you, I don't don't know if you've ever done street photography, Mm -hmm. but, um, I've attempted.
0: (laughs) I'm not good at it. (laughs) Well,
2: that, that's something that I, I used to do with frequency. So, I mean, but when you go out in the, in the mode to photograph on the street, anything and everything is, is available to you, but your mindset is about exactly that you don't think about anything else you're out photographing or at least I was some people I I think are different they just have the camera as an extension of themselves and they always have it but when I would go out to photograph that's all that I really thought about so this project was it wasn't all I thought about because I was going through my day at that time I was working at and the department of education so I was teaching for those um you know, seven hours a day. And then I had, especially in the winter, the light is going to fall very quickly. And, you know, you you Mm -hmm. have to come up with your picture, girl, you this is your project. (laughs) So (laughs) um, it was stressful at times. But um, I love the fact that I can look back at I mean, now all years kind of blend in. What happened in 2012? I don't really know unless there was a significant event. 13, they kind of all morph into one, into your past. But for that one year, I know exactly where I was every day of the year. I can see when I went on vacation, I was in uh, Dubai. I have my pictures from Dubai. Mm -hmm. So I know that year that I did that. And I love. It's almost like a visual diary of that year. It is a visual diary, and I could could understand how people keep diaries because that was so nice to to see. And I still sometimes look back at it, like to see what I was doing at that time of the year, where I was, if I was at the beach or if I was in the snow, and. I, that project was, uh, I'm so glad that I did it. And also my sister, who's a writer, uh, we did it in a collaboration. She wrote A Thought a Day oh, wow. for the year. And we never, but it was a collaboration that we never spoke to each other about.
0: Oh, you didn't know what was happening at the time?
2: Well, no, we we, we decided we were going to do it, but oh, oh. I never read her writing for the day. Oh, And okay. she never saw my pictures until we had uh, two shows, two or three shows and only before those shows and we started to put the things together did we uh, see and there were some days where the photo and the writing went and meshed wow. perfectly oh, huh. so it was really interesting on that part on in that level too
0: yeah yeah and you, and you wonder if there was some some connection, a familial connection mm-hmm. that you were reacting to something that day in the same way or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, oh, that's great. Well, and we can see that on your site with the text?
2: No, the text, oh. I don't have her text up on it, but I have, uh, so I, I don't have the 365 days on the site, but I have some images. for Oh,
0: okay, it. Mm-hmm. right. Oh, well, that would be, it would be interesting to see that paired with the text. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, it, it
2: would be, but. Uh... <laughs> Someday maybe, right? <laughs> <laughs> Someday, yes.
0: Well, this has been great. Thank you for for, uh, giving uh, us your time.
2: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you. All right. Well, goodbye, everybody. Bye.